While the children are coming, uh, just uh, another word too. We had another uh, death as well, Gail Parrish Williams, and uh, the mother of uh, Melissa Hubbard and Tim, who plays the drums, his, his mother-in-law. So let's remember uh, the family, the Williams family, the Hubbard family, and all those that are connected as well uh, during this time. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, we'll be looking at that later in the message, but just to give you a little preparation. And don't forget that we're going to have the sermon outlines every week. They'll be at the corner in the rails uh, each week, as well as in the foyer. So don't forget to pick your outline up if you'd like to uh, follow along and have as a record. And then to make notes that God might prompt you uh, sometime during the message and you'd like to have something to write on. So I encourage you to get the outlines and appreciate uh, our folks that do PowerPoint that keep that up there for us and uh, so that we can take our notes and, and uh, just share in God's word. There was a, a little girl one time and every day after school she walked through the cemetery. And as she was walking through the cemetery each day she just enjoyed the, the beautiful sky, there are times that she would just kind of lay down in the grass, look up and look into the clouds and, and see all kinds of things. She'd see horses up there and, and castles and she'd just make out whatever the formation of the clouds where she would, she would try to figure out some figure that would be up there, some image. And then she would um, notice the birds as they would be singing and she'd skip through the, the, the cemetery and she'd stop from time to time, she'd look at the headstones and uh, she would just see the names and the years and just think about, about people. And one of her friends asked her one time, why is it that, that you, you always walk through the cemetery after school? And she said, because it's on the way home. And I want you to think about that answer. Because it is the way home. That great theologian that you and I know, Forrest Gump, all right? Remember old Forrest? His wife Jenny was dying. He stood at the graveside, and he said, Mama always said dying was a part of life, but I sure wish it wasn't. And imagine we feel that way, not only because of this week that we've experienced, but other times we've lost family, we've lost friends. If you like me, you, you have empathy for those we see on television or maybe come up um, on your news feed on, on one of your uh, devices, and, and you see so many people suffering. And you probably think, I wish dying wasn't a part of life. But it is a part of our life. And it is something that we do have to deal with in our life. But it is the way home. Without death, there's no way that we're going to enter into heaven. And so there is a pathway, and it's called death. So this morning, let's answer quickly four questions. And the first one is this, what is death? What is death? Well, death is nothing more but the separation of your spirit, your soul, from this body. I mean, very simply, that's, that's what the, the Greek word means. It means a separation. Your soul, that spirit that God has given to you, separates from the body. The scripture tells it this way, James 2.26, As the body without the spirit is dead. Luke 23, 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. Jesus died on the cross, and at the moment of his death, his spirit went back into the presence of God, and the body 
went into the grave. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7 says, And the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. When, when we die, these bodies begin to decompose. They're placed into the ground, or, or, or if you choose cremation, but the body decomposes and it becomes dust once again. It becomes dust. In the Hebrew, the word death means to breathe out. Remember what happened with Adam. When God created Adam, God breathed into him and he became a living soul. And so it's just natural that when we think of death, that means the breathing out, the spirit leaves the body and, and returns unto the Heavenly Father. Now there's some words I want us to use that maybe can help us and to comfort our fears about death. The Bible uses principally in the New Testament four particular words that describe death. And the first one is a departure. In Luke chapter 9 verse 31. We studied this a few months ago back in July when I shared with you the message on the transfiguration. And there Jesus is talking to Moses and talking to Elijah and they're talking about his departure. And the word departure there is the word for exit. We get our word exodus from it. This is the, the English word. An exit, an exodus. Jesus talked about his exiting out of the world, an exodus. And just as Moses was the leader of the children of Israel out of Egypt and into Cana, so our Lord Jesus is our leader as well. He leads us out of this world into the next world. He did it successfully, and because he did it successfully, when we die, we too will be successful exiting this world into the very presence of God. And so that should take some of the fear away from us because our Lord Jesus has already been there. A second term that is used is a restful sleep in John 11, 11. It's used over 13 times, but there Jesus talked about Lazarus falling asleep. The disciples had said something about Lazarus being, being dead, and Jesus used the word, he's, he's fallen asleep. Now, don't get the idea that death is soul sleep. It is not soul sleep. Because we read in the scripture in 2 Corinthians, and we'll see it in a few minutes, 5, 8, it says to be absent bodies, be present with the Lord. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's the body that appears to be sleeping. The body is dead, but it appears to be sleeping. So he used a very a, a term that, that is easy for us to understand. It's a restful sleep. It's a very benevolent word to talk about death being sleep. There's a third word that's used in the scripture, and that is it's a collapsing tent. It's a collapsing tent. We read over in 2 Corinthians 5, 1, how this body is described as a, as a tent. And this tent is going to be destroyed one day. It's going to dissolve. Some of you in this room, you love camping. Uh, camping in the old days. I'm not talking about camping today and those, those you know, multi-thousand dollar trailers and buses and stuff like that. All right? Not talking about that kind of camping. I'm talking about the old-fashioned camping. Where you did it in a tent and had your little fire out there. Okay? Those tents that we all, many of us that are older, have camped in at some time, we know that those tents 
are fine at first, but over a period of time, they wear out. There may be a storm that comes along and a limb falls on it and there's punches a hole in it. Or just from deterioration, sitting and use, it deteriorates away. That's a description of this body. This body's like a tent and it will dissolve one day. We talked a little bit about that last Sunday morning, about how our bodies are wasting away in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And so our bodies are like a collapsing tent in this world. It's also another reminder that these bodies remind us that we are just pilgrims passing through this world. These bodies were never meant to endure for all eternity. This is just the earth suit. But inside of us, that spirit, that soul that will be redeemed will be given an eternal suit, a new body, one day. Well, there's a fourth term, and that is a sailing ship. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, Jesus used that word again, departure. And it's not the same as that first one I mentioned over in Luke 9. But it's how our English word sometimes interprets there. But it's talking about a, a slipping away like a ship that has been anchored or has been tied to the moorings of, of a harbor in the harbor. And the anchor is pulled up or the moorings have now been loose and the ship sails away. And so that's a picture of death as well, that we sail away in this world. We are set free from this world. And again, a reminder, Jesus is a forerunner in all that comes in our experiences of life and especially in death. Now, because of this, maybe you're thinking, well, why is there death? Why did death come into our world? Why did death enter our world? One man said it this way, why did a living God, why did he make a dying man? Well, let's look at the words of the Apostle Paul because he answers it for us in Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all have sinned. It all started with Adam's sin. Adam rebelled in the Garden of Eden. And because of his sin, there were consequences to pay. God had told him in Genesis 2.17, you can eat of all the fruit of the land except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do so, you will surely die. You will surely die. He was talking about a physical death, but he was also talking about spiritual death. And that's what happens when we sin against God, when we rebel against God, when we choose to, to be God ourselves, instead of obeying God, we follow after Satan instead of following after our God. And it's because of that sin of Adam that death entered into our world. And we are all born with a sin nature. But let's don't go all laying the blame on Adam because we would have done the same thing. There would have been that time because of this sin nature that we too would have sinned and we would have broken the laws of God. All of us were babies at one time. You don't remember this, but God gave you children, grandchildren to remind you you were just like them at one time. You don't have to teach a baby to sin, do you? You don't have to teach a baby to be prideful. That's mine. That's mine. You don't have to teach a baby to pitch a fit when it doesn't get its way, do you? That's all because of the sin nature that we all have. A baby is a sinner. 
You were a sinner when you were a baby. You were born into sin, but you also proved that nature because of the way that you acted. In the same way, because of your sin, the consequences of that is death. And remember what I said about death? Death is separation. It is separation. It is separation not only of this spirit from this body, but it's also spiritual separation from God. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin, what we deserve because of our sin is death, meaning separation from God. In Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us are guilty of that sin and deserving the separation of our, our relationship with God and from this world by death of our body. But let me also remind you that the separation that we talk about here is not just, not just for you and me, but all creation. Not only people, but plants, animals, this world, this world. But thank God, even though the, all of creation suffers because of sin, and we see it with hurricanes, tornadoes, we see it with floods, we, we, we see how creation is groaning at the moment, but even creation is going to be redeemed in that new heaven and the new earth that is going to come down. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. So let's look at our third question. What happens after we die? What happens after we die? Well, there are three unbiblical aspects of death that people have in this world. I mean, there's, there's three unbiblical thoughts about death itself. There are some people in this world, they believe in reincarnation. Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, those, those folks that believe that that, hey, when we die, we come back in a higher life form or a lower life form, depending on how you lived. So if you lived a good life, like right now, you'll come back in a higher form in the next life. You'll be even blessed more in the next life. But if you've been evil in this world, you will come back after your death in a lower form of some sort, and you will pay the price for not living that good life. So that's reincarnation. There are those that believe in annihilation. They believe that the moment you die, it's over. Nothing exists after death. When you die, your body goes back to the ground, and that's it. No more life. Nothing else will exist that concerns you. And then there's universalism, a third way that people look at it. And people look at universalism that universally everyone is going to be redeemed. No matter whether you lived a good life or bad life, we're all going to go to heaven. It's all going to be fine once we die. Universally, we're all going to go to heaven and everything's just going to be happy. That's basically what universalism is. But all of those are contrary to what the Bible has to say about death. In this life, everyone has an opportunity. They have a choice. And whether it's a believer or non-believer, we all have a choice of where we're going to spend eternity. All of us have this opportunity. And depending on your choice, as we'll see in just a moment, it's either going to be hell or it's going to be heaven. And God gives us these opportunities. And let me tell you what, it's just in this time that we live in that we have the opportunity. One minute after death, you're not going to say, oops, I made the wrong choice. You know, I didn't do anything about it. You're not going to be able to say that a minute after you die. 
The scripture makes it very clear that we have an opportunity right now. Uh, maybe you've heard this before, but there's a tombstone well over 100 years old in an Indiana cemetery. It goes like this. Pause, stranger, when you pass me by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be, so prepare for death and follow me. Well, a visitor saw that and decided to scratch something else and left this on that tombstone. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. So which way are you going? Where are you going after you die? I mean, there, there's only two places. Either we suffer separation in hell or we enjoy celebration in heaven. So let's look at the first one. Let's look at the first one. We suffer separation in hell. Listen to this passage of scripture, 2 Thessalonians verse 1, 8 and 9. This is so clear. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. I mean, it can't be any plainer than that in 2 Thessalonians 1 verses 8 and 9. Hell is a real place, just as real as heaven. Hell is real. Jesus made a reference to hell. Twelve out of the twenty times you find the word hell in the New Testament come from the lips of Jesus. Twelve times he speaks about hell. And he talks about it being a separation. Let's look at it for just a moment. What, what is it about, about hell that makes it hell? The first thing has to do with physical suffering. The Bible says that it is a place of fire. That there's an unquenchable Fire. There is the physical aspect of pain. There's also the emotional aspect of what hell is all about. The Bible uses the term that will be the weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, there's an emotional pain to that. That we will realize that in our pride, we would not humble ourselves and accept the word of God and receive his son Jesus who shed his precious blood on the cross for us. And so there's the emotional pain. There's relational pain. Because the scripture says that we will be alone in hell. We'll be cast in place of outer darkness. There will be loneliness. Now you like me, we've seen through the years... And I, I could have read up and brought two or three of those, those, those jokes to you and talked about St. Peter. What happens when you get to the gates of, of heaven and you have to deal with St. Peter, which there is no biblical uh, truth to that at all. We don't have to deal with St. Peter when we get to heaven's gates. But there are a lot of cute stories about St. Peter's gate. But there's also, in, somebody, in some people's eyes, a lot of cute stories about hell. And how hell's going to be. Man, if I'd known it was this way, man, I'd died sooner to go to hell. No, hell is not a party. There is physical suffering, emotional suffering, relational suffering. You're not going to be around other people. You're going to be separated. But the most, I think the worst part, the one that, that is the, the most upsetting of all, is the fact that we are going to be separated from God himself. There will be spiritual separation. Because the scripture tells us that we're going to be shut out. I just read that to you in verse 9. 
You're going to be shut out from the presence of God. And you will not experience in hell the goodness of God and the compassion of God. I mean, even unbelievers right now receive some of the compassion of God. You're allowed to live. You have the sunshine. You, you're able to make a living. You have your body. You have family. You have friends. There's some compassion. There's some good. Even unbelievers can experience some of the goodness of God. But in hell, you will not know of any of those kind of experiences. We need to understand hell is real. What happens to unbelievers when they die? Luke chapter 16 verses 19 through 21 makes it pretty clear in this story of Jesus. There was this rich man. There was Lazarus. The rich man died, went to hell. Hades. We find that Lazarus, a poor man, died. He went to Abraham's bosom, Abraham's place, just another expression of heaven. Rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich. Lazarus didn't go to heaven because he was poor. It had to do all with the relationship with God. And so we find that while the rich man was in hell, he was in what I call the temporary holding place. He's only in an in in intermediate place. We're going to talk about this later in heaven in, in the next week or two. Heaven, I mean, hell right now, Hades, it's just temporary. But it's still a place of suffering. In Luke chapter 16, we can read down in, in verse 24, it talks about agony. How that the rich man was in agony already in, in hell. He wanted, he wanted Abraham, he said, hey, uh, just, just have Lazarus come back and, and take a little bit of water on his fingertip and, and place it on my lips. Just give me a little bit of, of moisture. He was already in misery. He was already in suffering. In Revelation chapter 20, it tells us that there's going to be a judgment for lost people. And the Bible says that the dead, the unbelievers that are dead, they're going to be raised at that time. And they're going to have to go uh, before uh, the, the great white throne judgment. And the scripture says that after that, they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. That's the permanent hell for a non-believer. So Hades is the intermediate stage, but there's going to be that permanent place called the lake of fire. And unbelievers thrown there, devil thrown there, demons thrown there, death itself, Hades itself, all of that for the rest of eternity. Let me help you understand here in Dallas County, you have the Dallas County Jail. That's just a temporary holding place for prisoners. And, until they go to trial, and then after their trial, if they are sentenced to serve more time before going to prison, the county jail is just the temporary holding place. That's Hades right now. That's, that's what Hades, just temporary. But there's already suffering in Hades. There's always already the restriction for a, a person convicted of a crime or, or waiting. They, they, that's just temporary, but there's going to be a prison sentence that they'll have to, have to fulfill. So it is with a person that goes to hell right now. But folks, you think about that rich man. He, he's, he reaped what he sowed. He was unmerciful to Lazarus. Now he wants Lazarus. To come and be merciful to him. But he reaped what he sowed. What he reaped, sowed in this world, he's now, uh, sowed in this world, he's now reaping there in hell. 
2 Peter, though, please understand 2 Peter 3, 9. Peter, in a loving way, said, God, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If you're here and you're not a Christ follower, thank God for his patience. He's given you one more day, one more Sunday. He's given you one more sermon from a preacher calling and pleading with you. But just as heaven is real, hell is real as well. And he doesn't want you to perish for all eternity. But you will. He will not send you there. You'll send yourself by refusing to accept his son, Jesus Christ. And follow the way of God. So that's the path for a non-believer. If you die without Jesus Christ, you'll suffer separation in hell. But for the believer, we enjoy celebration in heaven. This is the joy that you and I have as believers in Jesus Christ. I read another epitaph that you might, uh, might have heard before. It describes what happens to a Christian when we die. It's from Nantucket, Massachusetts. It says, under the sod, under the trees, lies the body of Jonathan Pease. He is not here. There's only the pod. Pease shelled out and went to God. And that's what happens to you. You shell out and you go immediately into the presence of Almighty God. And where you go is the third heaven. And I shared with you, I'll talk about that in a few weeks. It's the intermediate place, but it is the place where God is right now. It's what Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 23 when he told a thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. In Luke chapter 16 verse 22, Lazarus was carried into Abraham's bosom. That's, that's the place of heaven, just another name for it. But probably the most complete understanding that we need to have about celebrating in heaven is found in the 2 Corinthians passage. Your Bibles are turned there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We look at verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent, this body we live in, is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. One day we're going to have that resurrected body that will be able to live for eternity. Right now this is an earth suit, but eventually we're going to have a space suit, an eternal suit that we live with God. Notice in verse 6, Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Verse 8, We are confident, I say, that, that would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Let me understand, help you understand the difference between verse 6 and verse 7. In verse 6, the verbs that are used there in the Greek are what we call continuous action. Let me read a paraphrase. Therefore, being always uh, of good courage and knowing that while we are continuing to live at home in the body, we likewise are continuing to live absent from the Lord. In other words, as long as we're here on earth, we can't live in heaven. So as we continue to live here, we can't continue yet to live in heaven. Then verse 8 is what we call a perfect tense. It means completed action, uh, the Greek verb. It paraphrase, it reads like this. We are all of good courage. I say and prefer rather to have completely departed from the body and to finally be at home with the Lord. So let me help you understand it this way. A few years ago, uh, about two and a half, I had a chance to go to Puerto Rico for uh, a mission trip. 
and we, we did a major retreat on the west side of Puerto Rico. We did a major retreat for pastors and wives. They had been devastated, the, the churches there, we could still see a lot of the damage from the, from the hurricane that had passed through uh, the summer before, and there was tremendous discouragement by, by the pastors there. And so we, we took them aside, we had a great time, gave them, we, we gave them a free uh, five days, four nights in a hotel on the west side of Puerto Rico, and we used the conference center there and shared with them just, we just invested in their lives, loved on them. Uh, we took people from uh, Otaga County, Elmore, uh, Tallapoosa associations. Uh, we had uh, ladies' events, we had men's events. I spoke each day from the, from the book of First Peter that's about suffering and how to endure suffering. And, and so I used that as the theme. So we had a, had a wonderful experience, but I'm going to tell you what. Uh, the older I get, I, I don't want to be away from my wife very long. While I was continuing in Puerto Rico, I was continuing not to be with my wife. And I was looking forward to that day that I would be able to fly out of Puerto Rico and fly back into Alabama. But as long as I continued in Puerto Rico, I continued not being with my wife. But the day came when we flew out of Puerto Rico and we made our way to Miami and to, to uh, Atlanta and eventually to Montgomery Airport. And I had what I call completed action, all right? It was complete. I was out of Puerto Rico, which I love what I did, love serving, but I was ready to be home. And so I was able to finally be with my wife and finally be away from Puerto Rico. That's all it's saying here. Right now, we continue in this world, therefore we continue not to be in heaven. But the day's going to come when we're going to leave this world and, and our life will be complete here. We're going to be in heaven completely with our Lord Jesus Christ. And this will be something that will be passed for us, this world. But something beautiful opens up in heaven. So the last question I want to answer for you this morning in this message is... What will death be like? What will death be like? Well, friends, when it comes to the experience of death in our life, there is fear. God, God gave us the emotions of fear. And we fear what we don't fully understand. And, and, and what is built around death is this. We are fearful because we don't understand the process. Or we're fearful of going through some hard death experience. So that makes us somewhat fearful about death. Also, not just the process, but the uncertainty. Yes, Jesus died. He was buried in a tomb. He came back the third day. But we only have limited information about all of that experience. We haven't experienced it. You, you don't have anybody that's close to you that has died, been buried, and come back in a resurrection, all right? To tell you all about it. We depend on other people to tell us about experiences. Somebody goes off on a trip and they come back and, and they're bubbling over telling us about the trip. We don't have anyone that's close to us in, in our human experience that, that's able to do that. So there's that uncertainty about all of it. And yet, what happens when we die? Let me, let me read for you. I don't often do this, but I'm going to read you something about a man by the name of John Todd. John Todd was born in 1800. 
And at the age of six, he and his siblings lost their parents. He grew, or he was born in Rutland, Vermont, but he grew up in a little community called Killingsworth. And when the parents died, the children were parceled out to various relatives. And so Todd was able to, John Todd was able to go with a, with a very benevolent, loving aunt. And he shares about the experience years later. At the age of 20, he's off going to, to uh, college. He went to seminary, became a minister. At the age of 35, his aunt is dying. And he writes to her because she's fearful of what's about to happen. She knows that she's dying. And so he writes a wonderful letter to comfort her. Listen to what he wrote to her. It's now 35 years since I, a little boy of six, was left quite alone in the world. You sent me word you would give me a home and be a kind mother to me. I've never forgotten the day when I made the long journey of 10 miles to your house in North Killingsworth. I can still recall my disappointment when instead of coming for me yourself, you sent your colored man, Caesar, to fetch me. I well remember my tears and my anxiety as perched high on your horse and clinging tight to Caesar, I rode off to my new home. Night fell before we finished the journey, and as it grew dark, I became lonely and afraid. Do you think she'll go to bed before I get there, I asked Caesar anxiously. Oh, no, he said reassuringly. She'll surely stay up for you. When we get out of these woods, you'll see her candle shining in the window. Presently, we did ride out on the cling, and there, sure enough, was your candle. I remember you were waiting at the door, that you put your arms close about me, and that you lifted me and a tired and bewildered little boy down from that horse. You had a big fire burning on the hearth, a hot supper waiting for me on the stove. After supper, you took me to my new room, you heard me say my prayers, and then you sat beside me until I fell asleep. You probably realize why I'm recalling all this to your memory. Someday soon, God will send for you to take you to a new home. Don't fear the summons, the strange journey, or the dark messenger of death. God can be trusted to do as much for you as you were kind enough to do for me so many years ago. At the end of the road, you will find love and a welcome waiting, and you will be safe in God's care. That's what we hold on to. Our hope and knowing, though the journey for us is uncertain, how it happens, and the process, we have nothing to compare it to. But we know that when it is complete, we will be safe in the arms of God. Let me close with two questions and that I want to answer, just something from the appendix of a message, if you'll allow me. And it's only because we've dealt with a little bit of Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Do angels accompany the dead? And it's my belief that angels do. And I believe that what we find here in the story in Luke chapter 16, that we find that the angels came and they took Lazarus 
and brought him into the presence of God and to eternity. And I'm one of those believers, based on that, that God sends his angels to us. And he delivers us through them safely into heaven. The angels are ministering spirits, the Bible tells us. While I do not believe in guardian angels, I do believe that we entertain angels unaware in our world. And there are ministering angels that take care of our needs. We should not worship angels. Don't worship angels, okay? But we do understand the comfort that God will give to us with angels. And a second question, do children become angels when they die? And the answer is no. Children do not become angels when they die. God has plenty of angels. He's not created any new angels. He has all the angels that he needs. Now, when a child dies, it's my belief, and it's backed by some, some pretty good Bible teachers and theologians, that most likely a child that dies grows up in eternity, maybe to the age of about 30, 33, like our Lord Jesus Christ. And so while I understand that sometimes people want to be comforted when they see a child die and want to say, well, they become an angel of God, there's no biblical basis for that. And while, again, we appreciate trying to comfort people, I've never tried to deliberately um, disagree when they're in the midst of their grief because it is so hard when you lose a child. Arlinda lost a little sister at age three. Her family went through that. Some of you have been through that. So you want to comfort a family and later on correct the theology. But be, be sensitive in the time of needs. But angels, my friends, are created lower than men. Angels don't experience the grace of God. The Bible says that we will rule over. The book of Revelation talks about this. We'll rule over angels one day. So we are created higher than the angels. But rest assured, the Bible doesn't teach that anyone... I mean, where do we get this? Our, our favorite Christmas, Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life, with Jimmy Stewart and, and Donna Reed, and, and you know, Clarence gets his wing. Oh, there's a bell. When a bell rings, an angel gets their wings. No, that's not how it happens. It's a cute thought, but it's mystical. It's, it's fiction. And we love little stories like that. But rest assured, God's got plenty of angels already. Children grow up in heaven. They become, at the moment of conception, God breathes into their little cells the Spirit of God. And in the womb, they're growing, they're born. I believe that continues in heaven as well. Would you bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, we have gone through a lot of important truth this morning. Such important truth about your word about heaven. What is death? Why death entered into our world? <clears throat> what happens, Father? You know, where, where, where do we go when, when this life is over, when we die? We either go to hell or we go to heaven based on our relationship with Jesus. And then, Father, we have tenderly looked at what death is like, the experience of death. And, Father, while we want to be comforted by all of this, it begins with knowing that we have a relationship with Jesus if there's somebody here who has not yet experienced that in their life, I pray that this would be the day they come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Father, also bring conviction, conviction on us 
Some of us have family and friends. Right now, if they were to die today, they would go to hell. So renew in us an urgency. Because Father Peter said it right. It's not your desire that anyone perish. You want everyone to repent. So Father, may we renew our witness and opportunities to share with lost people about Jesus. We cannot beg them into hell. We cannot force them into hell. We cannot argue them into, into heaven. But we can share the gospel at your Holy Spirit. Minister to them. May we be instruments of your spirit to bring about truth to those who need heaven. Bless this time of invitation. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.